Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is, about the games that matter to them. We have with us today, and I'm, I'm ringing him in with a little sex pistols, because, uh, Avilio, I think you're the first, like, bona fide, hardcore European guest that we've had. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you are a Portuguese fellow who lives in Switzerland, which is about as European as you can get. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and so uh, I, I was, uh, that was a Sex Pistols song, God Save the Queen. Am I correct? Does Portugal have a queen? Uh, no. We're, oh, you guys, uh, you guys got rid of your monarchy. Yes, quite a long time ago. Okay. Uh, I did not know that. Uh, so now how does a fellow from Portugal end up in Switzerland, which is where you are? Um, it was pretty much of, a, of the moment thing. I just uh, was working once, and um, a guy just happened to mention that his brother needed people in his the company he worked in in Switzerland, and uh, I said, well, mention my name, and uh, he did, then I came here without thinking about it too much, just uh, asked my girlfriend at the time if she wanted to... Uh, marry me and move over a couple of countries. <laughs> so <laughs> and she said yes, so yeah. <laughs> so so the the woman who is your wife right now is is someone you imported from Portugal as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we both work together. Um she's a she's a programmer. I'm a sysadmin and we work at the same company and we have for the last long time. Now is the company big? Like is it a small company? No, nah, it's pretty small. Um I guess a little less than 100 people. And is it ever weird working in the same at the same uh, company as your wife? No, it's pretty cool actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't work together. Like we don't do the same thing. We don't have to interact too much. We just go for coffee together and have lunch and right. hang around a bit. So. Oh, and by the way, so I want to I want to point out. I, I think this is very clear to everyone. There aren't a lot of uh, videos on. The forum, uh, your your full name. I want to hear you say it. Uh, and by the way, am I doing it right? Avilio? Do you say the B like a V? Am I getting that even close? No, it's Abilio Carvalho. Oh, I what is Abilio? Yeah, that right. Okay. And and Carvalho. By the way, I love. So you have the kind of name that if someone like Ricardo Montalban would say it would sound incredibly <laughs> sexy. If Ricardo Montalban were to say my name, it would it would just make it would do nothing. Uh, so does everyone from Portugal I, I disagree. Have... I disagree with you actually. I don't know There's Ricardo Mont... Ricardo Montalban can't make sexy. <laughs> you have a very good point. Fair point. Good. Uh, now I want to hear a little bit about uh, uh, Portugal. What is Portugal like? That's, that's a very broad question I realize. What, what, how would you respond if someone asks you, what is Portugal like? It's a really small country in the, in the way you would say in, in, he comes from a small town in the States mm-hmm. with all the good and the bad that comes from that. I mean, it's a really good-looking place, and people are nice and cozy and friendly, but there's also all the problems. And we, we were a dictatorship for quite a long time, until 74. So uh, we're a bit behind everyone else, and uh, yeah, but but all in all, it was a cool place to grow up in. What was uh, were, were you from? So I guess the only Portuguese town I could name is I guess Lisbon. Uh, 
w where in Portugal are you actually from? I'm from a really small place near uh, Porto, which is the other big city. Oh, Porto, yeah, of course. I, I think yeah. I might have been able to get that one, yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm from a suburb of that, mm -hmm. Verzin. And uh, so I guess you were born, you grew up there. Were, were your folks from there? Yeah. Uh, and what was uh, what when you when you left uh, this place to move to Switzerland? Were you were you glad to go? Um, yeah, <laughs> um, I, I was I was yeah. I mean, professional situation wasn't going that well. The economy wasn't awesome, mm -hmm. and um, a lot of cool stuff happened at the same time. I mean, getting together with my wife and uh, seeing. New things. I've, I've, I moved around a bit before coming. Uh, I moved to Lisbon for a f few months to try something there. Mm -hmm. um, moved back in. Uh, so I, I was used to uh, packing up and leaving. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of laid the groundwork for the moving, right? Right. Yeah. Then I just made the big jump. Now I think of Portugal. Does Portugal have? Uh, and I'm going to give you an analogy here, and this may, maybe won't fit. But I think of how people from New Zealand probably hate being confused for Australians all the time. Is that what it's like being from Portugal, where a lot of people think you're Spanish, or is it not quite like that? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, oh, yes. I, and now you don't speak the same language, if I'm not mistaken. Like, like Portuguese is not Spanish, right? It's, uh, it's, no. Like, like, for instance, I, I think of... Uh, okay, so here's another thing I know about Portugal. Uh, Brazil... Big old huge chunk of South America, they speak Portuguese and, and not Spanish, uh, yes. which I presume is from uh, the, the Portuguese heritage of colonization, like that, you know, every, it's, it's fallout of that. Brazil belonged to you guys, correct? Yes, yes. It was Brazil, a couple of places in uh, Africa, Angola and Mozambique and a couple of others, and a uh, uh, mm -hmm. place in China. <laughs> All right, now, I can't help but think with the situation in Brazil... Uh, Portugal would be really good at risk because instead of having a bunch of little places dotted around South America and the Bahamas, it's sort of like you guys get one big contiguous block of territory and you go from there. So if, if world history were risk, I would think that Portugal is doing very well to have Brazil. Yeah, it was, it was a trick, actually. <laughs> it was a trick. They've made us get the place. We, we, uh, I don't know if you, probably you guys never heard of that, but uh, we were so modest and humble once that we uh, split the world with Spain. There's a treaty um, that says, well, this half of the world is for Portugal, this other half is for Spain, and it cuts right through South America, and we get to keep Brazil, which was a, a nice little coup, because it hadn't been officially discovered yet. I did not realize that. So you guys had your own sort of Molotov ribbon top packed <laughs> yeah, in the colonial uh, days. Nice, okay. It's called uh, Tratado Tordesillas. <laughs> and it was more or less that, yeah. Just, you get the left half, we get the right half. Everyone's happy. Now, you, I know you're into real-time strategy games based on what we're going to talk about later, but do you ever play uh, hardcore strategy games like uh, Europa Universalis? I dabble. Okay. Because <laughs> you, you can play Portugal, of course, there. Uh, and I always... 
I'm a, in a big, vast game like that. Uh, I like Portugal because it's very small. It's very manageable. You know, Spain's got just so much territory. And, but, but Portugal's nice and small. It's just a couple of provinces, but they've also got all of that colonial stuff they can do. So I'm a huge yeah. fan of Portugal. Uh, in um, the Civilization Revolution game, Portugal, I think, has an awesome early ability to discover wonders of the world before anyone else. Uh, so I'm, historically, I'm a huge fan of playing Portugal in strategy games. So my thanks to your country for that. <laughs> no problem. I think Civ Four, one of the expansions, has a Portuguese ruler as well, but I have no idea if he's good or not. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you, what is what is it like now? So that was Portugal. What is it like being in Switzerland now? You obviously like it. You've been there ten years. You haven't been miserable and left. Uh, describe for me being in Switzerland. It's. A lot more uh, orderly. <laughs> it's um, it's different kind of life. I mean, quality of life is much higher. It's a rich, rich Western country, uh, very Germanic. I live in the German side. There's also the French side, but uh, yeah, the company that hired me was up here. Um, and it's very cre- clean and very neat, and sometimes kind of boring and sometimes you just <laughs> go outside and you look at the Alps and uh, you look at the lakes where everyone is uh, yeah it's it's naturally it's beautiful um, has everything I could want it's it's I predict I'm gonna stay here for quite a long while what part of Switzerland are you in what's the name of your town um, Baden it's um 20,000 people town, really close to Zurich, though, so I have access to all of the big city stuff, mm-hmm. um, but it's still cozy, and it's nice historical buildings, and so on. it's pretty cool. So when you moved to Switzerland, uh, did you already, because in America, we only speak one language, and that's American. We don't know other languages. When you <laughs> moved to Switzerland, did you already know German, or was it something that you picked up from living there, or do you even know German? I... Won't starve to death if I have to depend on my German. <laughs> um, but no, I mean the the company uh, was an international company. It's pretty small, but it's it's we had people from seventeen different countries working there at the time, and uh, so we spoke English at work. And I spoke oh, English okay. With my wife, um, so that was easy. And then um, I spoke English for, uh, pretty well. I speak a bit of French, which. It's the second language of, of Switzerland, so there's four of them, German, French, Italian, and Romanche, which is spoken by like 30 people somewhere in the house. <laughs> now, now uh, can I... So, uh, yeah, I dabbled in French, so it was okay until I learned a bit of, of German. Can, can I do that stupid thing where I ask you to say certain things in another language? Uh, okay. So, so here, here's the deal. Uh, we had on a fellow from Australia last week, and uh, he he would not do an American accent, but he asked me to do an Australian accent. So I said a line from Road Warrior in my Australian accent. I would like you to say that line in Portuguese, German, and French if you can. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the line, and and uh, just as best you can, I'd like to hear it in those languages. So here's the line. The line is. By the way, have you seen the Road Warrior? Are you a big movie guy? Um, I am a relatively big movie guy. Uh, I have seen the 
Road Warrior a few times. Okay, so so you know, yeah, this is a Max has been captured by the people in the uh, in the little refinery, and they're under siege by Lord Humongous, and they need to get the gasoline out of there. So he, uh, everybody, they've got him handcuffed off to one side where they hold off a siege, and the siege gets beaten back, and he's picked the locks on his handcuffs, and he, he whistles to get their attention, and he says, two days ago, I saw a vehicle big enough to haul that tanker. If you want to get out of here, you talk to me. <laughs> so there you go. I would like to hear international versions of that line from Abilio Carvalho, <laughs> if you could swing that. Wow. I know. Uh, <laughs> I can break it down for you a phrase at a time. So, so yes. let's start with the Portuguese. So okay. you know what, Abilio, this will be like a, a UN thing. I'm going to say the line, <laughs> and then you say it in Portuguese. Okay, so you ready? Here we go. Two days yeah. ago. Há dois dias. I saw a vehicle big enough to haul that tanker. If you want to get out of here, you talk to me. <laughs> See, probably to you that just sounds stupid and means nothing, but I loved hearing that. <laughs> okay, now can we try German? Uh, and you know what? Every German listener <laughs> <of the> podcast agrees <laughs> to turn the volume down for a bit. <laughs> so, uh, Chris Nar, if you're listening, fast forward. Don't listen to this. We're going to butcher German. All right, you ready? Here we go. Two days ago, I saw a vehicle big enough to haul that tanker. How I not saying this genug groß ist some diese uh, tanker <laughs> no idea if you want to get out of here you talk to me wann sie müssen weggehen sprechen sie mit mir I'm so sorry to put you through this but I'm really enjoying this okay now now we're going to try French okay ready for this yeah. two, two days ago yeah de jour I saw a vehicle big enough to haul that tanker. J'ai vu une voiture qui était uh, suffisamment gros pour uh, enlever ce, ce tanker. <laughs> if you want to get out of here, you talk to me. Si vous voulez aller, uh, parlez, parlez avec moi. <laughs> now, that's, to me, I mean, being, being a stupid American, I just think it's a beautiful thing in the rest of the world where people can actually, their brains work that way. They, they understand different languages. You know, thoughts are expressed in different ways. So here's a, here's a dumb question. Do you ever, what in what language do you dream? Um, I guess a lot of it is English at this point. I guess because I that's, your, is that what you're most used to, to speaking? Yeah. I mean, here Portuguese is basically only with my wife. Right. Um, English is with most of my friends, and uh, at work as well. German is reserved for my nightmares. <laughs> Very well put. <laughs> now, you told me something really cool, and I, have you posted about your game shop on the forum? Is it is it something that, that you've talked about? Yes, yes. Okay, I so made a thread on uh, everything else a while ago. Oh, I've, I've, I've totally missed that thread. So, so tell me about your game shop. You mentioned that you do a lot of business with Warhammer's miniatures. Uh, well, what else do you do there? And, and, and how did you come about to have this game shop? 
Well, uh, I have it since August now, mm-hmm. and um, I it, it was the shop in in my little town, and um, the guy running it was well, he doesn't play games. He's kind of an asshole, <laughs> and um, uh, but but really good place, and he had a lot of taste fixing it up, and it looks really nice. Except that he wasn't making enough to uh, to put up with the Warhammer kitties running around and stuff. <laughs> so uh, he decided to close it, and um, it's been a dream of mine to retire and do something like that once. So, and, so real uh, quick now, before you took over, so this is in this is in Baden there, right? Yes. And and this uh, this guy, how does this guy come if he's not into Warhammer? Was he just a retailer? Like, how is it that he comes to run uh, a shop that sells Warhammer miniatures? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, calling it a game shop is kind of wrong. Uh, so the shop is called The World of Miniatures, and that's what he did. He was very good at building the stuff and painting. Ah. And, uh, you know, he was a modeler, first of all. Right. Uh, so he sold... Um, Warhammer focused mostly on the modeling and so on, and uh, film collectibles like action figures and and the big expensive um, five hundred buck worth uh, resin statues and uh, right right and stuff like that. So it, it was it's a miniature shop. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have comics. I don't have video games. I don't have uh, board games or anything like that. It's really just everything that's related to to little plastic dolls for men. <laughs> now, now, so he so he was running this, and how did he get? How did it? How did it transfer over to you? You, you bought it from him, I presume. Yeah, I was a client, um, and uh, I went there to get some uh, cheap discounted stuff that he was getting rid of. Um, and he mentioned that he was actually closing the place uh, in in two months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started asking him about it, and he said, well, are you serious? And I said, yes, of course, I'm extremely serious. You can trust me, right? Um, so he actually told me what he was planning uh, on selling it for and so on, and uh, I checked with my wife, who is a wonderful person that allows me to do stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, we have really good jobs and not a lot of expenses at the time so we had a bit of money to the side for that for for just playing around with and um yeah we spoke for three days pretty much non-stop about it whether it would be a good idea or not mm-hmm. and uh, in the end i said yes and kept it so uh when when you take it over from him uh, you, you keep the name of the shop? Did, 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 was there anything that you immediately wanted to change, or did you just kind of jump into the, the same way it was running and keep things going the same way? I started out the same way, but uh, one thing I did was he had a big workshop, because he's a modeling guy. He had a big workshop in the back that um, that was actually, like, furnished, everything nice, but uh, but only with shelves and stuff for, for tools and materials. And uh, it was a bit of a mess. So I cleaned most of that up. Um, and because um, I, come, I come to it more from the gaming side. I really like Warhammer. And uh, I buy everything that has a Games Workshop stamp on it, including Mark of Chaos. 
Um, <laughs> That's devoted, Billy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I drew the line at the expansion, though. But <laughs> um, so so I turned that into more of a kind of a game room. I put in uh, Warhammer tables there because there, there weren't any. People just came in, bought the stuff, and went away. Um, so now I wanted them to come in and stay and chat a bit and maybe paint a while and play there because that also generates more of a bit of a, like a gaming club feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that doing well? Is that taking our people staying around and painting and actually playing matches there? Yeah, yeah, mostly on the weekends. But, um, but yes, it's, it's, it started out of its club. <clears throat> but, um, but it's been improving, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's fun to be there by now it's most of the time. So you say most of the time, and this is something I wonder about, does taking something that you love as a hobby, you know, a passion in your leisure time, and then approaching it as a business, does that, does that kill any of your affection for it, or does that strengthen it? How, how have you felt about Warhammer stuff since running a shop for that? Um, I still feel pretty good about it. I mean, it would be different, like, for example, uh, if, if I had put in my head to... Um, uh, um, make video games, for example. Uh, I think that's a bit different because then you're you're working. Programming is your job now, and you have to make games and you have to try to sell them and you have to talk to Steam and Impulse and all of that mm-hmm. business side of ru- of running it. That is very focused on the game, and the game has to be good. Then you you have to be good as a designer. Um, all I have to do is pay my bills on time and be good at talking to people, which um, is the thing I like pretty much, and I don't do enough in my in my real job. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I don't paint or play as much as I would like to because I have to do uh, um, to run the place. Right. But it hasn't it hasn't killed any uh, any of the passion I have for actually the, the miniatures and the games and so on. So uh, tell me a bit about what kinds of people. So when, when you talk about, is it, is it mainly Warhammer miniatures? Like, is that the bulk of your business? Um, yeah, Warhammer uh, Flames of War, which is a World War II, um, also a miniature game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and the, the movie stuff is, is started out a bit slower because it's a small country and there's not that many collectors. But uh, it's it's going a bit better now, so it's it's a bit spread out. It's a pretty varied uh, customer base because the guys that like the the old Universal classic movies don't don't go for the Space Marines. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so so then tell me about some of your favorite customers. Wow. <laughs> well. Uh, uh, one of my customers actually listens to the podcast, so I can't mention him. Uh, he's not my favorite, though, but yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, um, uh, my favorite. There's one guy that uh, doesn't show up as much anymore, but he showed up a lot at the beginning, mm-hmm. who's, a, who's a, a figure collector, so he's, he's not on the Warhammer side. And uh, he once mentioned casually to me the following two facts. First, he has uh, 46 different models of Lara Croft, including three life-sized ones. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he has 
one action figure series that consists of uh, posable and undressable um, models of porn stars. <laughs> oh, my God. I like the first fact better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and when uh, people come in, are they? They must be pretty sociable. I mean, this isn't like a Best Buy where you just come in, you wait in line, you buy what you're buying, and you leave. Uh, I, I imagine people want to come in and they want to chat and look over things. It must be a more social experience than most shopping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's the, the game nerds who can come in and talk shop for two hours. There's the mothers with children that, that come in and the kids just run around the place picking up everything and going, wow, look at this, it's so cool. Um, and um, and there's a couple uh, uh, comic book guys, you know, uh, the, the stereotype of the of the gamer nerd who smells like cat piss and, <laughs> and bathes once every fortnight. <laughs> Now, uh, um, so there's a couple of those, but they tend not. They tend to come in and go out pretty quickly because uh, it's one or two, and no one else gets along very well with them. So yeah. Now, now, do you still actually play? So actually, here's a question for you, Abilio. When you're into Warhammer, uh, is painting the miniatures and actually playing the miniatures game something that that everyone generally does, or are there some people who just like to paint the miniatures? and other people who just like to play the game? And where do you fall in that? It's pretty pretty wide spectrum. I mean, uh, I, uh, I'm pretty much in the middle, except that I have very little time to read it. Right. <laughs> um, there's, uh, I have a, um, a friend of mine um, who's a girl, and she's in it for the painting, and she games like, once a year or twice a year or something like that, and uh, but she paints beautifully and uh, and uh, it's one of the best in, in Switzerland. And um, now, real quick, so for someone, for someone like her, does she not? Uh, is she specifically into Warhammer, or she just likes painting miniatures? And Warhammer is amongst some of the the other miniatures she paints. Well, some people are like that; they just paint miniatures, whatever comes. Uh, she. Um, is is a pretty big um, uh, fantasy nerd, so Lord of the Rings, Stephen King, Aragon, which is a European thing, which is not very good. Aragon uh, is the dragon, the boy with the dragon. Yeah, yeah, we know exactly. who that is. We had there's a movie. Everybody knows Aragon. Okay. Yeah, I know there's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to forget about it. Um, we know. Yes. <laughs> um, Twilight as well, unfortunately, <laughs> but hey, nobody's perfect. <laughs> Um, so, so she really likes the Warhammer world. She plays RPGs um, like the tabletop with uh, with dice and and not LARPing, but uh, you know pretending yeah. to be a elf somewhere. Right. Um, so she really likes the fantasy world, and then she fell in love with the universe, and she just paints Warhammer pretty much. Now, does she does, do people like that paint other people's miniatures? Uh... <laughs> or just, well, I, I'm curious because who was, oh, I can't think of, a friend of mine who's into board games, uh, it might be my friend Paul from Canada, I, I can't remember, but anyway, his father, anyway, a friend of mine, his father will paint his miniatures in his board games, uh, and his father doesn't want to play the games, he just likes, and I wish I could think of who this was, because I remember it was so remarkable seeing these. Uh, his father will paint these for him, even though he doesn't play the game. So he's basically like, here, give me your game. I'm going to paint these things. And then he gives them back to him. Is this 
Like, do, do some painters do that for other people, or when you paint something, do you want to keep it for yourself? Uh, no, well, some, some guys do it, not professionally, but, like, they, they, some people, for example, fund the hobby with that, mm -hmm. where they paint miniatures, they get a commission. That's enough for them to buy their own miniatures mm -hmm. and not have to spend any money. Uh, <laughs> she's pretty much, ends up pretty much forced to help her boyfriend finish up his army when it's tournament time. Because <laughs> <laughs> he procrastinates all the time for on that. And, uh, but, but she tried to do it, like, for a stranger the first time this year, and she hated it. It was horrible. Because the, then what happens is you get the guy saying, yeah, I'd like it with this color oh, yeah. and this color, and purple and bright pink and <laughs> green and yellow polka dots, and she has to do it, and yeah. That's so for you, you're, you're both sides. You paint and you play, or, or like if you had time, you would paint and you would play, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, these, these, these days, do you still, which do you do one or the other of more? I play more, mostly because I do it at the, at the shop. I have to give demos and play with customers so that they can hang around and buy stuff. Oh no, what a horrible job I have. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, more, more, more playing. So for those of us who only know Warhammer through the, the computer game, when, when somebody's into Warhammer, the miniatures, do you have one faction and you've painted these guys, this faction, and that's what you play? Or is it like uh, an RTS where you just have an army for every faction and you just pick who you're going to use on any given day? Um, as a seller, I would dearly love that to be the case. <laughs> if everyone had an army for it. No, you, you, it's pretty extensible, so you, you choose one race or one army and you, and you go for it. And um, you get other options if you want to do this kind of army or that kind of army. But normally people get attached to... Uh, to a race or to a to a, a group, and they will focus on that group for a while, until. But but it's not like you know, it's not like Magic or or other card games where you always need to buy more things to keep up. Right. Uh, Space Marine is a Space Marine. You can play with a twenty with twenty year old one. So eventually they will switch around if they want to keep painting and so on. They will do something else. And to which faction are you attached? Uh. If, Eight of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, because you run the shop, or before you ran the shop, when you were just a before player? Before I ran the shop. <laughs> so you, you were a dabbler. You, you, like, you liked to have expanded no. horizons. <laughs> no. I actually went pretty deep on all of them. Whoa. So, oh, I see. So it's like you were super hardcore. I see. Yeah. Uh, are there more money than sense is the, is the <laughs> phrase, I, I believe. Uh, how much does it cost to go deep into one faction, just generally speaking? And actually, you're probably going to tell me in Swiss francs or Portuguese lira or whatever, so I'm not going to know. <laughs> but can you give a general idea what it costs to, to be into this hobby? Uh, well, like a basic box for, for a, like a small little troop thing mm -hmm. is about, um, like uh, if you, you played Dawn of War 1, right? Like a Space Marine squad. Right. Is is ten men, mm -hmm. and that's about I believe like forty dollars maybe. Okay. And typically you would need three or four of those plus tanks, which are about forty fifty dollars. Ah. Each. It would run like three to four hundred bucks to have like a good choice of an army to vary and so on. 
Well, he, here's a question, Abilio. When you have a race like the, the I, listen to me, I was going to call them the Zerg, uh, the Tyranids, who have, in, in, the, in the computer game, they tend to have more units. Is it more expensive to play certain factions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it depends. It can be, but uh, but uh, Games Workshop also also is is canny about that. So they they price based on on game terms, not just like how much plastic is in the box. Right. So uh, maybe uh, ten Space Marines and sixteen or, or eighteen Terrans will cost the same thing. I see. Right. Uh, Money wise. Now, when was the last time that you played? Last time I played, um, last Saturday, I think. Mm-hmm. And can you describe for me the match that you had? <laughs> um, like, we just... We, I was fooling around with uh, two of my clients, and we just decided to make a fun match. Not, not like, anything serious or, or, or like storyline or any of that thing. Just plonk a couple of thousand points of models on each corner of the table. Uh... Uh, three-way, so two corners and one on the other side, and we just had at it with with um, with a, a bit of diplomacy thrown in, like attack that guy. Um, but it was like pretty chaotic and fun, and um, I lost a lot, and it didn't last very long because I'm not that awesome. Now, which which faction did you pick? Um, Ultramarines, which is like blue space marines. Okay. Uh, and when uh, now in a three-way, I know as, as someone who plays real-time strategy games, w- the whole objective is to to let the other two guys fight each other and to then come in and mop up. Why didn't you do that? I tried. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I tried. Uh, the problem is like uh, I had a more or less ranged army, uh-huh. and. Um, the other guys had a bit more close combat troops, so if I left them alone and they started, uh, they were they were getting close to my to my area. So if I let them get close, I would lose anyway. <laughs> so I, I had to be proactive because I, I had the ranged troops. Right. Now, now does it when you does a match like that with tabletop miniatures basically play out? As far as the strategy and the tactics and the, the moment-to-moment interaction of pieces, does it basically play out like a real-time strategy game? Hmm. Um, pretty much, yeah. I mean, uh, the closest thing to Warhammer uh, Fantasy, which has like regiments and ranks and flanking and uh, facing and stuff like that, would be um, um, Total War. Uh, right, 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 right. Um, like the, the, the tactical portion, and uh, 40k is pretty much Dawn of War. I mean, you have all the dice, and the dynamic is different, and so on. But if you if you tell someone how the battle went without telling it, him if it was a tabletop or a Dawn of War, mm-hmm. and you don't mention dice and specifics and stuff like that, then it's pretty hard to figure right. out which. Now, now, so do you also, does your, does your, being a Warhammer fan, does that also translate to the Dawn of War games? Are you a fan of those? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, uh, I like them in general. Uh, I, I think I would even if I didn't play. But uh, the extra, the extra little helping of, of 
of a grim dark future where everyone is evil and oh god <laughs> everyone's gonna die um helps they, they do such an amazing job just with the atmosphere i imagine that being a warhammer yeah. fan and seeing that 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 universe given so much detail and attention and, and just atmosphere that must be so thrilling for you guys because uh, you're used to everything being static frozen moments in time with the miniatures and to see all that animated and hear the voice that I mean, I love those games, but that just must be doubly exciting for you guys. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I, normally, you know, the the opening cinematic of Dawn of War 1 is, is, was, was something special, yeah. (laughs) Now, how did you get into Warhammer? So, so if I'm not mistaken, Warhammer is really big in, uh, like, like, isn't, in England and Germany, there, there are huge factions of Warhammer fans. I mean, and unlike here in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken, it's got a big following over there. Uh, how did you come yeah. to Warhammer? Um, I, I I was vaguely aware of it when I was a, when I was a kid. There wasn't any shop selling it when I was really young or anything. But uh, I liked all of this fantasy stuff, and I read a bit about it in, in magazines and stuff. I, I um, like D&D and I played really old uh, role playing games uh, like Ultima and uh, and Eye of the Beholder and stuff like that so I was always into this fantasy stuff and uh, I got aware with, I started playing it when I when I had like a a, a temp job in a, in a game shop uh, which uh, when I was in, at university so I started working there. Uh, they sold mo- mostly magic, but then they started with Warhammer, and I, I got into that. Uh, have you played by any chance the Warhammer CCG? There, there have probably been a couple, but I'm no. thinking of one. Okay, but there was a very no, good CCG based on the Warhammer license that I quite liked. Uh, yeah, I managed to miss that. I, I when I wasn't collecting enough magic cards to, if I sold them all, probably get a. All beat up, but still the car. <laughs> right. Um, uh, I was I was uh, collecting something which I think you also played for a tiny bit, but not that much. Which was a uh, Legend of the Five Rings. Oh yes, yes. Samurai yes. stuff. Yep. Yeah. So and we, that consumed me. I, I completely missed the Warhammer one. Yeah, L five R was great. And so when I yeah. finally got out of CCGs and I got rid of all my Magic cards, there were a handful of of cards that I kept. I kept my. Uh, there's a Star Wars CCG that I really liked. I kept those cards. Uh, there's a there was a game that was called Jihad that was right, later changed yeah. to Vampire. Yeah. I, I kept those cards. The cards that the only cards that I got rid of, and I was in, I dabbled in so many different little CCGs. The, the ones that I got rid of that I wished I'd kept were my L5R cards. <laughs> that was the one that I was, yeah. I like sold them on eBay, and you know a few months later I was like, oh, you know, I probably shouldn't have gotten rid of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, I I did that a couple of times, getting rid of all my cards for 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 a lot less money than I paid, and then regretting it two weeks later. Do you ever dump any of your Warhammer stuff? Did did that ever happen? Um, yeah, yeah, right at the beginning, like, since I started, like, uh, six years ago, I think, was when I started collecting and never stopped again. Okay. Um, but, um, before that, I played a bit in Portugal, but I had to dump all of that in one of my many moves around the country. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
I, I actually, when I came to Switzerland, I came alone for a month. So my, I came in to, to like prepare, like rent the house and, uh, and, uh, see if the country was full of axe murderers and then my, <laughs> my wife joined the following month. But you were the and, forward reconnaissance team, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, I came in and, um, I heard there was this, this game shop here in Baden and, uh, I didn't, I didn't know anyone. I had nothing else to do. And, and that's, I think that's one of the benefits of those kinds of games and that nerdery, which, which I like a lot is I can go to any country and there are at least some nerds who know exactly what I'm talking about you know what, that's a, babbling about these things. That's a very good point. It does sort of, you, you can plug yourself into a community that, that already exists, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. And, and nerds are pretty much the same everywhere. <laughs> I mean, the Swiss character is pretty different from the Portuguese character, but my Warhammer friends, not so much. Now, have you ever read a Warhammer novel? Yes. Aha. Yes. Several. Yes. So I presume you have seen the, the actually I don't know if there's trailers, but I know there's there's something called Ultramarine, an animated Warhammer movie. Do you know about this thing? Yeah, I just saw the first couple of I don't think they're trailers, but just like uh, uh, EPK sample videos on YouTube about it with interview with the cast. John Hurt is the, is part of the cast. John Hurt and Terrence Stamp. Those are like yeah. huge actors yeah. with amazingly yeah. distinctive voices. I mean, based on those two guys, I'm like, wow. I don't know a lot of Warhammer stuff, but based on those two guys being involved, I'm like, I, I want to see this now. <laughs> yeah. And the, the writer is one of the few actually good ones doing doing Warhammer stuff. There's maybe like two, three. Ah. Uh, and, and in the middle of the 20. 20 uh, people who do Warhammer novels regularly. There's a, there's a couple, which are actually decent. And uh, they took one of them. I think they're they're trying, like Dawn of War, to, to take it seriously. Whether it's going to work or not, I don't know, but I think they're trying. Now, now how do you feel about the fact that... Because before, when I, when I was going to mention the Tyranids, my brain immediately thought of the Zerg. How do you feel about the fact that the Warhammer license has basically been usurped by StarCraft? Uh, does that bother you, or are you glad that it, it gets those concepts out there where people know them? Um, I don't know if it if it helps people know them, uh, but I don't I don't mind very much. I, I just I just uh, picture that that Penny Arcade strip about it, and I laugh, but <laughs> I move on. You know what I'm talking about? You know what? I'm afraid I don't. What is the Penny Arcade strip? And by the way, it's a terrible thing to get someone to have to describe a comic <laughs> instead of actually showing it. Uh, what, what's the Penny Arcade strip? There will be a link at the bottom of the post. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so do you, if I were to come into your shop, could I come into your shop and grief you by asking for some, uh, some Zerg and Protoss miniatures? <laughs> no, because I have those as well. <laughs> Oh, you know what? Of course. I actually had, I wasn't even thinking about the. I, of course, Blizzard has got to make miniatures. For their now, is there? There's yeah. not a miniatures game of StarCraft, is there? Uh, no, there's no game of StarCraft. There, there's a, there's a CCG for for World of Warcraft. Um, well, there is a StarCraft board game. Uh, yeah, and they, they, there was a, I think it was a Warcraft RPG supplement as well. They they dabble in in, in traditional game stuff, but I don't think I, any of it was was extremely successful. But you I can actually. Mm -hmm. I think they tried making a Warhammer miniature game, 
I, it's, it's a vague thing in the back of my memory, but I think I did try. But could I actually come in and buy and paint, like, Zerg miniatures? That, that would be an option for me to have a, a, an army of painted Zerg miniatures. I don't think so unless you use turn But there are, like, action figures and things. Okay, action figures, right, right. Uh, now, so I'm curious then, Abilio, why on earth do you want to talk about Supreme Commander 2 instead of one of the Dawn of War games? Um, that's, that's a really good question. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I think with, with, with the first, uh, half of the court for, of the podcast being so Warhammer focused already, people would <laughs> just turn off in droves <laughs> more than they probably will already. Um, yeah, I, I, it's a bit separate. I mean, I, I like a lot of computer games and I play a lot of computer games and, and Dawn of War is a small part of that and yeah I can babble for two hours about Warhammer uh, storylines and stuff if you really really want to <laughs> well now you're so I, I take it uh, that you're a big RTS guy like you're into real time strategy games I guess yeah yeah strategy and, and role playing games is, is what uh, is what I'm I'm most about I mean I do some first person shooters and so on but I, I played um, Mag a bit. Mm-hmm. Thanks for thanks for joining us the other night, jerk. Why couldn't you be? Oh, you know, I guess the whole time zone thing must be complicated. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I dearly love to, but yeah, I'm in summer as well, like like you guys are. But it just I didn't even try because it was going to be at ungodly hours of the morning. Uh, well, if you ever want to, you know, change your mind and set your alarm or whatever, we'll we'll be there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll discuss it with with. Carla and <laughs> <laughs> well, no. So what I'm mainly curious about, what I'm trying to get at here, is well, in in the because as I'm I'm a huge real time strategy uh, gamer nerd, and I would be curious why, when given the opportunity to sort of talk about any RTS, why would you go to Supreme Commander Two? Uh, like, what is it about that game that that is like this is the game that I sort of feel that I want to talk about right now? What what is making that sort of work for you? Um. Well. I, I I've uh, played Supreme Commander one maybe more than Dawn of War already by this point um, because we do we do uh, a land thing me and and my my gaming group um, we do like you have your ship club we have a yearly thing at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And Supreme Commander is the mainstay there. That's that's what we do for a week, uh, pretty much nonstop. Mm-hmm. And um, it is a game I, I really like, and I enjoyed that it, it was doing something different. And then the new one came out, and it was so different from the other one. And opinions were a bit uh, a bit divided. And I just felt like it was an interesting conversation to have. And uh, Dawn of War is like, yeah, it's it's good. Chaos Rising is really cool. Space Marines are awesome. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, well, before I, I wanted to talk about like the differences and and what exactly was the. Now, before you got into Supreme Commander, were you one of the guys who came to Supreme Commander from Total Annihilation? Uh, no, I never. I, to this day, I never played Total Annihilation. Not even. Uh, I'm wondering now if I ever actually saw a screenshot of it. <laughs> I just completely missed it. I was I was doing uh, um, 
like Warcraft and Dune 2 and, and those kinds of things. I've played all of them. But then oh, and you just skipped over Total Annihilation. Yeah, yeah, completely. I don't know what happened, but... Uh, well, well I, so here, then I'm curious, how do you come to... What was it like coming to Supreme Commander? Because a lot of Supreme Commander are ideas from Total Annihilation that are, that are carried forward. Uh, all of the stuff with the way the economy works, with the scale, with the interplay with, uh, with, yeah. with uh, you know, radar and stealth uh, and sonar. and uh, so, mm-hmm. so how do you come to Supreme Commander, and what was that like discovering that without the benefit of that total annihilation groundwork? Yeah, well, how I came to it is, is uh, uh, three simple words, videos with experimentals. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It just, it just looked so awesome, and uh, and it, it was just I, I needed to try it out at least, and um, so I bought it and got completely lost. <laughs> it was it was quite hard to get into it, and uh, to this day, I mean, we're, we're not hardcore. We don't play online. We pretty much play together, and. Um, it took us a while to actually grasp the mechanics, and probably would, we'd get schooled by ten-year-olds on the internet. <laughs> but um, but we just really like the scale, and uh, and when we got into the whole the whole economy thing, and and the the the, the running mass and energy tolls, which are always shifting and and can be can be attacked, and the, those kinds of things. It, it just it just um, I don't know. It, it just fell right into the proper spot in my brain that said, this economy model is really cool. I may not understand it, but I really like it. Well, I, I think, Abilio, one of the things that really makes Supreme Commander special, the guys like us who've played a lot of RTSs, is that the economy model is unique. You know, there's no other yeah. game that really does it that way. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's not yeah. about just building up piles of stuff and then spending the piles. I mean, I, I love the the sense that of economy. Exactly. Yes. You know, you know what it, what it, what, it, what it, in what region of my brain it fits? It, almost like city builders. You know, it's it's you have to build up this system which all the moving with all the moving parts that have to fit together, and uh, and uh, you know, I, I played Caesar three and Pharaoh a, a long time ago, and. Building a flying saucer on, in Supreme Commander is a bit like building the uh, pyramid, except that then it lifts off and go kills robots. But it's it's a bit that kind of a feeling of seeing the engine moving and producing units and and. Uh... You know, Avilio, that is lovely. You are absolutely right. It, it's more of a you're you're creating a moving system, and it's about it's about equilibrium and balance, and it's about not consuming too much and not having a. a, a a deficit of, of raw materials. I mean, it it definitely does feel more like a city builder, doesn't it, than than this artificial RTS model where you suck stuff out of the ground and you convert it to units and then you click the units out one at a time and then you're done and you go fight with those. You know, you're creating you're creating flows and streams in Supreme Commander, and I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. Now, how which do you go ahead? Go ahead. Which didn't move on to the second one? Which exactly, and that's what I wanted to ask you about. So, how do you feel? about the, the changes in Supreme Commander 2 and what, if anything, are some of the things that you miss uh, in Supreme Commander 2 from Supreme Commander 1? I'm, I'm 
I like Supreme Commander too. I mean, I, I I finished the campaign and I'm fully planning on taking it on to the next land and and uh, evangelizing it <laughs> for it a bit. Um, it's it's a really nice original game to start a new franchise, and I just hope they also continue the old one. Uh, it, it's it's different from the first in in maybe a bit too different I don't know I was never that hardcore on the first one so uh, probably some people get a lot more annoyed with it but I do like it and I, I just played um, actually my first proper competitive like multiplayer game uh, not co-op uh, uh, AI stomping because right. um, that, yeah, that doesn't yeah, count exactly. that's, 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 for, that's for babies <laughs> yeah I, I played my first one right before the podcast, and um, I, I really like it. I, I have no problem with with both games coexisting on my R drive, and switching between them next next Christmas. So when you uh, when you played a game uh, right before the podcast, you just jumped into because there's no matchmaking. I guess they're going to add that. They said, I think they're still holding okay. this idea that they're going to add it by the end of the month. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I don't know. It, it surprised uh, me that it didn't exist. I mean, it's it's pretty common these days. I didn't know that it didn't. I just so yeah. I, so you I just, just went on and you just jumped into a random hosted game, yeah? Yeah, three v three. First thing that came up. And how did that go? Um, we won, but um, we were slightly losing. Uh, uh, we had um. Uh, Cybranosaurus is that the name? The, the, the dino, the, di- the dinosaur experimental from from the Cybrans. Right, right. Cybranosaurus yeah, Rex, I think. Is, yeah, which yeah. I've heard is kind of actually. I'm not, someone on the forum was complaining that it was useless because it moves too slowly. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I think it, it it does suffer a bit in an even match, but we were behind, so it actually came. Uh, it actually reached one of our bases and uh and if you let him do that it will wreak a bit of havoc on, on your on your base. Oh it wasn't uh, you guys' Sobranosaurus, it was theirs and they brought it into your yeah. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got one of those in the face and we were kinda losing and then the normal thing happened with with, with public games where one of the opponents quit. Oh and, uh, yeah. <laughs> And then the other opponent went, ah, this is bullshit, leaving in the middle of the game, and now you have artillery, rah, 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 so he quit as well. And we basically just, just annihilated the last poor guy. Oh, that sucks. So, so, Vilio, I hate to say this, you didn't win. The, the, you just you got handed the game because the other guys were spoil sports. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. It's rare enough. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, one thing, though, is because there's no matchmaking and, uh, you know, there, there's probably less of a sense of having to stay through to the end of a game. You know, that's not going on anybody's record. The fact that this one loser threw a fit and left, there's no repercussions to this. He can do that. Uh, so I think that's one of the darker sides of not having some sort of record keeping. Uh, now, yeah. do, do you have... Uh, on the other a, hand, I mean, that's, that's, that's true, but I also, like, you also get into more games because... Uh, no one cares that much, and I can come in and say, "Listen, it's my first multiplayer game," and they will say, "Yeah, okay, right, sure." Uh, now, do you have a favorite faction? Because one of the things that I really like 
in Supreme Commander 2, and I never really got this sense for Supreme Commander 1, even though I played a lot, is I get a sense that the factions are different, and I, I feel like yeah. I finally have some personality to them. I actually have a favorite faction, which I never had in Supreme Commander 1. I couldn't have cared less. It's like, I'll take whoever I want. Uh, who do you like in Supreme Commander 2? Well, actually, I did have a favorite faction in, in Supreme Commander 1, mm-hmm. um, and it's the same one in Supreme Commander 2, and it's for a very simple reason. Flying saucers. Oh, the the uh, Darkanoid thing, that whole independent yeah. state. Fly. Yeah, yeah, so you like the, yeah. uh, what are they, the Illuminate? I, I say, see, they're Illuminate, yeah. 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 Uh, those Darkanoid things are awesome, aren't they? Just the visual of parking that over somebody's base uh, yeah. is a beautiful thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, and um, the, the, they're the ones with the with the anti-air uh, experimental as well, right? Yep. The and uh, and the teleporter, which is which is. Uh, and they also this is one of this is one of the reasons I really like them, Abilio, is they don't have a naval factory. Uh, so on naval maps, uh, the 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 two other factions you can never tell where they're going to come from because most of their units hover. Uh, mm. So now, if you want to invest in those really cool little uh, assault bots, those guys can't walk over the water. But the other ones, you can field a huge army, and you know people are used to playing thinking that certain borders are safe because there's water there. And if they're playing against the Illuminate, that's not the case. So that's another thing I love about them. Right, right. And it's it's weird because what I what I actually like maybe that's why we were losing uh, until the guy quit. But what I actually like doing with Illuminate is is and I know this makes no sense. But I, I normally go for air, <laughs> um, and their air tech tree is pretty poor, and they don't have any really special stuff. Just the flying saucers at the end of it, and uh, ah, right. <laughs> so I tend to go air, and and I know that's not what I should do, but it's just so cool. So okay, here's here's a this is such a cheesy thing, and this by the way, Abilio is indicative of what a jerk I can be. So I'm playing, a few, when the game comes out, I've, I've already had it for like a week or so because I did a review. So I, I'm in those, those early days where nobody's really played it a lot, and I kind of know what I'm doing before other people do. Mm-hmm. I get that little window where, you know, I can win games because I've, I've had it for a week, and you guys <laughs> booted up your first day. So I'm in a three-versus-three game, and I'm typing in things like, okay, I'm going to go all air. Uh, you guys do land, you go here, and we're... we're but but it defaults to uh, chatting to everyone. It defaults rather than to team chat to, to global chat. <laughs> so I made a complete yeah. ass of myself typing these plans, and other people were typing in, okay, you do that. Yeah, you do that. And it was the other team talking to me. <laughs> so, so that I, I realized, and then I made jokes about, oh, I didn't know. And, and I, you know, it, it was... I was self-deprecating about it. I felt like an idiot. It was funny. That was fine. But now, so here's what I did afterwards, Abilio, is I then started joining games and pretending that I didn't know I was in global chat <laughs> and typing the opposite of what I was going to do, saying, okay, you guys, I'm going to do a tank rush over to this point, and then switching over to team chat and saying, those other guys probably thought I, you know, that was a lie. I'm not really going to do that. I'm just going to pretend that I missed type that and I'm actually going all air. So that's that's I consider valid psychological warfare in a multiplayer yeah. argument. Yeah. 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 Uh, even though it's kind of a dick move, I think it's fair. 
It's in the game UI. It's a tactical tool. <laughs> exactly. <right. laughs> I don't care. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so tell me about, so what do you think of, so you mentioned the tech tree, uh, and this is a very loaded question because I basically want to talk about how awesome the tech tree is, but tell me what you think of the new tech tree, like the, the, the way that they put all the gameplay in the tech tree. Does that work for you? Are you okay with that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty okay. I think that that was a pretty... That was a pretty good change, I think. You, you don't um, miss having to spit out engineers and build an upgraded factory to spit out another engineer to build another upgraded factory? <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. I mean, the, the the tiered system was okay, but I, I don't really miss it like I do the economy. I mean, uh, and yeah, okay, tier system was a big part of the economy because of the mass extractors that you also needed to upgrade and the fabricators later and and uh, um, so the economy, uh, the tier economy was a bit more involved, and I like that part. But um, but yeah, I think it's an elegant solution that replaced it. And I, I you do get the trade-offs in the beginning of of going to to the the mass generating and energy generating uh, um, uh, options on the tech tree, or just focusing more on, on upgrading units first and so on. I think it's it's a pretty cool system and it's well well I think it's well implemented and I have no much problem with that. I I don't know about mass converters. Oh wait, when you say it, what do you mean? Because it used to be where a mass converter would just sort of intervene in the flow of your your resources and you could toggle them on and off. And now you have to press a button and basically convert with each button press a sum of mass or energy to mass, right? Yeah, yeah, but I, I think it, it worked better in the old system. Yeah, it's like you said, you were generating this much of energy per second, this much of mass per second, then you had something that made the conversion, and that was how it worked, and that's fine. Right. But with with the accumulation of resources the way it is now, and you don't have a limit of, of um, you don't have the, the storage um, system anymore, I... I, I I think it might be. I don't know. I mean, you probably, you not probably, you definitely have a lot more multiplayer experience than I do. Don't don't people just go for for spamming energy at the beginning and just. You know that's a, yeah because you can kind of subvert the idea with the mass nodes. You know you have to control those mass nodes to get mass. So therefore you have to go out on the map and control the map and, and basically seize territory. That's that's an important premise of any good RTS. But if yeah. you just spam an energy generator and then use mass converters, you can circumvent this idea of having to go out on the map. And but but I think it makes it easier to turtle. Now I don't know if it's balanced. I don't know if people are abusing that. In in theory, I'm fine with it. Uh, but one of the things yeah. that I that puzzles me about the the mass converters is you used to make basically farms of mass converters. You would have rows of them. But it seems right now one little building as long as you're just clicking it enough, can do just as well. There's no point to build multiple instances of mass converters. It's just you drop down there. So there's no reason not to have one. You know, everybody should always have one if you unlock yeah. that bit on the tech tree. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, one is, it costs like 50 mass or something like that. Uh, I saw it today. So it's, it's extremely cheap. And, uh, yeah, you convert uh, thousands energy to 100 mass. Yeah. 
um, and you can get to that pretty easily. Sirens uh, um, don't even need to build anything. It's just uh, their energy buildings get converted into converters. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So you can just you just uh, you just select like eight or nine of them and convert nine thousand energy into 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 mass and and just. But now they have to they have to unlock that they have to unlock that ability on the tech tree though right yeah yeah, yeah. still but um well so here's my I, know, I think it it also does funny things to the re to the research model as well because um you you make a certain number of factories and you make a certain number of shields and it's not uh, um, having a lot of money really early. I don't know if it helps because you're you're you would need to spam factories and then spam units with those factories and so on, Un except for building ten research uh, uh, facilities really early and then just just upgrading like mad. Right. So I have no idea how that actually works if you know the game, but it seems a bit. It's it's it, it's like you were saying. What I liked about the first one was the flow of it and the way it, it progressed and so on. And I, I think it, that system with with those texts in place kind of makes it too different from the way the old one went. Right. The old game was more than willing to be huge and vast and take a long time. You could sit down and get an awesome two-hour match going, uh, and yeah. and it could have some ebb and flow. But it seems like Supreme Commander Two, for better or worse, and I can understand why they did this was built to be played in a 30-minute match tops. You know, is it that you go quickly, you choose your, you make your priority choices on the tech tree, you know, that gets matched up against whatever the other team chose, and a winner's going to be decided sooner or later. It's not necessarily going to be a drawn-out thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's fine, but um, I, I played the game, and it ended in the in the anti-climax that it did, but I still had fun with it, and I was having fun losing, which right. <laughs> is not very often that <laughs> uh, um, it happens, but I don't know, I just, maybe I wish that fine, have your 30 minute games instead of your 2 hour games but, like, make the experimentals and the big guns come out in the last 5 minutes and take part in the last mass assault and uh, <laughs> so at the moment, in 5 minutes you can have one of those those uh, those uh, cheapo brand experimentals, the, the small ones, you can have them out in the first 5 minutes or something right. like that Well, I kind of like that, though I, I remember one of my first mistakes as far as approaching Supreme Commander 1 was thinking of the experimentals as uh, titans from the Age of Mythology game. You know, that, that this is something that you would get one of and it would end the game. And they're not really that. They're just super advanced, like, yeah. almost higher tier units. And, and it's a perfectly viable approach to get a couple of them out there. You know, because one of them isn't necessarily going to decide the balance. Uh, and, and visually, they are so spectacular to get a big army with a couple of experimentals in there. Uh, so, so I kind of like the fact that experimentals aren't necessarily huge game deciders and that it's okay to get a couple of them in there and, and that they can come out fairly early. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the, you're right. I mean, that is also what I said at the beginning. That was the selling point of the game for yeah. me. And uh, so playing around with the big toys 
is pretty cool. And as I said, I mean, uh, maybe I'm sounding a bit more negative than, than I actually am. I, I love the game. I, I, it wasn't my last multiplayer game. <laughs> That's uh, always good. Uh, Each multiplayer game, so. you, anytime you come away from a multiplayer game not thinking, I'm never going to play this stupid game again, <laughs> is a success. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so so I'll, I'll be negative. Let me throw a negative thing out there. I am just, I, those guys at Gas Powered Games do such good work lately. You know, I loved Demigod. I really, really like Supreme Commander 2. But those guys, I just want to go over there and kick them in the shins for undercutting, for, for undermining what could be so good with this game. This game could appeal so much to people who are kind of new to it. If it was documented better, I hate the fact that there's no way before you build one of these awesome experimentals to really know what it does or how it works. You know, StarCraft II beta, for instance, is is finally, and this is one of the beautiful things about revisiting StarCraft, but this time with good tool tips, is you can jump into the game, not know how it works, and learn it as you play. But you can't do that in Supreme Commander 2 because they're not going to tell you what a, like a magnetron does. You're just supposed to yeah, yeah, figure yeah, that yeah. on your own. And that's so, oh, that just makes me so mad at those guys at Gas Powered Games because they don't have to do that. Just just lay out what this does, how you use it, and you're golden. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Don't alienate well, them by making them figure this out on their own. Well, to be fully honest with you, I actually built a magnetron, and I'm still not sure I know what it does. I'm with you 100%, Abilio. You know, you can turn it on and off. And it moves units around, but I don't yeah. know why I would want to do that or what good or harm it's doing. I'm like, whatever. Exactly. I try yeah, to there's, there's, there's the, in, the, in the thread on, on Quarter 3 about it, there's a couple of high-level guys who actually do play it a lot more than, than, uh, than me uh, right. uh, who are talking about like strategies and how to counter gunship rushes and so on. And one of them apparently found that a magnetron is really good for countering gunship rushes. And I, See, now, I, I, would, I, I wish I knew that, I, because that makes me now want to play and build one and, and try it. Because I, I, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I built one, but I still couldn't get it. <laughs> now, you, you actually have a lot more uh, commitment to the game than me. Uh, you played all the way through the campaign, yeah? Yes. So, oh, I can't, I mean, it's just, I have so little patience for campaigns anyway. I played through the, uh, you know, it's three campaigns, one for each faction. I got partway into the last campaign. You know, I did the, the not the Terrans, whatever the humans are called, and then it did the Illumina campaign, and I got partway through the Cybern campaign, and then my endurance just, just wore out. I, I just, but, but did you enjoy the campaign? Did it work for you? Uh, well, it's, it's, well, first of all, I'm, I'm much more of a single-player gamer than, than multiplayer. I mean, I, I do this land thing once a year. I play World of Warcraft still. Um, and uh, but but strategy games and and uh, I normally play single-player. I play through the campaign. I maybe try the multiplayer once or twice. But unless I unless I really like the game. Uh, Dawn of War, I've been playing uh, with Pretoria and Kali a bit, the the Last Stand thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Because, uh, um, yeah, it's commitment-free, and it's against the AI, and it's nice and easy, and that's fine. I, I Normally, I get a bit... I get a bit... Uh, concerned about about jumping into general population on the Internet and just skirmishing around. So I normally focus on the campaign with most games. 
Mm-hmm. And this one was fine. Um, I really don't know why they took the trouble to advertise that they had hired Square Enix to work on it. It wasn't any less pedestrian than the first one, I thought, in terms of like storyline and, and complete cliches that happened. And, uh, right. I think they, 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 they had the innovation where the main... Well, no, never mind. I was going to spoil <laughs> the ending a bit. So, yeah. oh, you know what? I'm, oh, well, yeah, maybe for other people who are going to finish. But I, <laughs> I'm going to say, you can spoil it for me. I, I don't really care one way or the other. But. Yeah, it, it, it's not a big spoiler. But yeah, something that I expected to happen didn't. But it was really minor. And yeah, apparently these people were classmates, and they they knew each other from before the hostilities started. Mm-hmm. And they banter. They they have like two or three lines of dialogue on the last mission when they're all together. And but it's it's really really nothing special in terms of the story. The missions themselves are are the. the well, to me, they're all. I, was, I played it. I played it, and I, because I, I like campaigns, and I like to know the story, and I like the basic gameplay enough to give it a try and, and figure out all the units. And uh, I mean, you're you're seeing new units right up to the last mission because of the way it's structured. So um, where they they cancel out part of the track tree and they yep. they switch around the races and so on. Uh, um, so since I wanted to do some multiplayer, I, I wanted to finish it so that I have the the overview of what it was that that everything did. Right. And it was fun, I guess, but it it shouldn't be winning any awards anytime soon. I think. Now you talk about wanting to mainly play single player, and I'm I'm with you there. I'm lucky enough that every now and then I can press the people here at Shoe Club into playing multiplayer with me. But but I'm I'm mainly a single player guy as well. Although I hate campaigns, but what I normally do are just skirmishes against the AI. Is, is that part of how you play Supreme Commander too? Um, no, actually, I haven't played any skirmishes. I, I ah. finished the campaign relatively recently. Uh, then I switched to the Dawn of War expansion, and I'm in the last mission of that. And uh, after that, probably I'll just go multiplayer. I mean, uh, uh, into into Gen Pop. Uh, because yeah, it, it was. It was it, it, today's experience didn't completely discourage me, so I'm gonna give it a few more tries. But yeah, skirmish. I, I, normally I do campaigns, and then I either move on, or do a bit of multiplayer. Skirmish is not something that I do a lot for some reason. I don't really know why. See, that, that's surprising to me. I mean, everybody, one of the, the beautiful things about real-time strategy games is that there are basically three ways you can play any RTS. You can play the campaign, you can play multiplayer, and you can skirmish against the AI. And each of those three experiences can be very different and appeals to very different kinds of RTS players. Uh, and I'm very much the kind of guy who, who likes the skirmish against the AI, where I don't have a storyline that, I have, that, the, that the developers are trying to tell me, and instead I just get this great toy box of units, and I can break out the ones I want to play in any given match, and you know, and it's me against the computer, and just sort of see how that plays out. Uh, but it sounds like you are a campaign kind of guy. Yeah, I am. Um, which, which, I mean, for example, I play the um, uh, Sins of the Solar Empire quite a lot. Mm-hmm. 
and that's skirmishing. And that. So it's completely skirmish only, and I still quite enjoyed that. And I played um, uh, Galsiv as well, and other games where there's a bit of a storyline, but it's like random events inside of a. Uh... But I did finish the Galsiv campaign. Did you play that? Did oh, that's you... right. Brad did. Yeah, oh, they did like the missions. Scenarios. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and in the end, the world, the, the universe ended, uh, and that wasn't the last mission, so I was curious on figuring <laughs> out what, what happened. Wait a minute. Uh, yeah, how did you, I don't think, where do you go from there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was curious, but then it ended up not, I ended up not, not going through with it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, one day I still need to find out what happens after the universe ends. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Now, I don't know if you know, but I'm about to ask you a completely random question that has nothing whatsoever to do with anything that we've talked about today. Uh, and it's even going to be really stupid, and uh, I'm going to apologize in advance for this question. No okay. problem. Are you ready for this? Here we go. Where do your keys live? In my pocket. <laughs> Come on. Now, you know that's not true, because I know when you get home... You don't carry your, your keys around in your pocket. You do something with them. Um, no. <laughs> well, so okay. so I, you don't have, like, a bowl near your front door or a hook where you hang them on or y your keys don't live anywhere. You just keep them in your pocket. You're going to lose them all the time if you do that. Do you remember which pair of pants they're in? <laughs> you don't. So you come uh, into your house. You have, a, by the way. So do you have a car in Switzerland? Like you, you get around, a yeah. car, right? You guys must have great yeah. transportation, though. Um, yeah. So you come home. You, you've got your car keys. You know, you park your car. You open. You unlock the front door. You come into your house. You do not then put your keys back in your pocket, right? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> you walk around inside your house with your keys on you. Yeah. You're a freak. <laughs> no, he does that. <laughs> what should I tell you? Um, I, I, don't, I don't have car keys. It's one of those electronic thingies. just lives in my wallet. Um, the car part. So it's really just the house keys, and, and uh, it's not that bulky, and I put it in the small little square pocket. It just stays there. I, I don't know, because I want to be able to, if I need to open the door, I can just reach in my pocket and open it and I don't have to figure out where they are and I would lose them all the time. Wait, what do you mean but if you want to buy watches, so... What do you mean if you want to be able to open the door? You don't need your keys to open the door from inside. Yeah, I do. Wait a minute, what? If you want to go from the out, from the inside of your house to the outside, you need your keys? Yeah. Wait, what kind of door is that? <laughs> do you guys not have doorknobs in Switzerland? <laughs> What's going on over there? <laughs> yeah, but there's there's a, a doorknob works from inside and outside. It's just one piece. You can't you can't uh, lock it just from one side. So it's either locked with a key or it's completely openable inside and out. And yeah, it's it's normal. What do you mean? I guess next you're going to tell me that y'all's like toilets flush different or something, or you have different light switches. <laughs> I can't believe you. Okay, well that that makes a little bit more sense then, I guess. Uh, 
So, all right, well, that's that's interesting. I, I learned something new about you. Because <laughs> here in the United States, here in America, Abilio, the way yeah. I'm here, yeah. you come into your house, you've got a big old key ring. You know, it's got your car keys. You've probably got a key for your garage and your storage unit and your house. And you've probably got a key for right. work because you have to open and close the shop or whatnot. So you've got a big old bulky key ring. You've unlocked your door. You come into your house. You're not going to want to carry that big old thing around in your pocket. So you, you hang it on a hook or you throw it in a bowl, and people have these little interesting door-side repositories for things like, you know, keys and sunglasses and whatnot. So I thought you might have something interesting there. but Nope. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, just to let you know, I use – oh, you know what? For Empire Total War, Sega sent out uh, a little – when they sent out review builds of it, they sent us a little wooden – it looks like a treasure chest, uh, and it's made of wood, and it's got a little clasp on it, uh, and it came with a stupid little plastic. Yeah, that's, that's the that's the special edition, I think. Right? Oh, maybe maybe it even came out with the special edition. But I thought it might have been yeah. just a press thing, but you're probably right. Uh, so I got that, and normally I don't keep like game related stuff around, but I have that little thing set up <laughs> near my dining room table. So my keys live in what looks like a little pirate treasure chest that came with with uh, Empire Total War. So, that's pretty cool. There yeah. you go. So if anybody wants to rob my house, that's where the keys to the car. <laughs> uh, so all right. Well, so anybody reading, anybody who wants to go into the drawing with Abilio for a free game. Although you know what, if you win, I don't know. Sending the game to Switzerland, y'all probably have whole other like import tariffs or whatnot. I have to figure. I just hope you don't win, so I don't know. So I have to figure out what. To do. <laughs> But anybody who wants to go into the drawing for a free game, there's going to be a po- there's going to be a thread and everything else called "Where Do Your Keys Live," uh, and post in there an answer and use the word "my." That's M Y, twice and only twice in your post. If you do that, you will go into the drawing for uh, a free game. So here's a question for you, Abilio. Do you have console systems? Oh, you do, because you mentioned Mag. So you've obviously got a PS3. Yeah. Uh, I have I have a PS3, an Xbox 360, and the Wii. Have you? Oh, you're you're totally kitted out. Uh, have yeah. you Have you tried any uh, RTSs on your console systems? Uh, no. No matter how much you rationalize for End Endwar, I think was it. Ah, that's right. Yep. Endwar. Uh, yeah. No, I I never never tried any of that. Now, I don't know if you know this, but just this week, Supreme Commander 2 came out for the Xbox 360. Can, can you imagine that working? Ah, uh, no. Me either. Not really. <laughs> you didn't try it? I didn't. I just got a review assignment today, so I, I, I'll be writing it up, but uh, I, I did not try it. Uh, you know, there, there was an Xbox 360 version of the first Supreme Commander, which was notoriously terrible. Uh, Gas Power didn't do it. They contracted it out to someone else. And yeah. uh, they, they were very mea culpa about how that turned out. So they've said, you know, and I can I can maybe see it maybe working a little bit, but I'm really skeptical whether or not Supreme Commander 2 can fit on the Xbox 360. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. The, is, is Ruse coming out? That seemed like it might be a bit more... Well, Ruse, I'm for the, for the 360. Right, right. And I'm excited about Ruse because the, uh, the developers, Eugen... They did a great Command and Conquer clone called Act of War uh, way back when. So I, I think those guys know C, uh, RTSs pretty well. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't know that much about it. I actually have. I'm not really on the press list for it. I haven't. There was a beta on Steam. Did you try that by any chance? Uh, yeah, I played like two or three skirmish games. Oh, which is all there is. Just just try to. That, no, there's a multiplayer. Sorry, it's a multiplayer beta. Right. Where you can uh, try just a very limited setup um, with with an easy AI just to figure out the interface and stuff like that. Did you like and, it? And that's all I did. Right. It looked. It, it had a few interesting things. Yeah, and and uh, the interface looked a bit like it might be better suited for a console. I have no idea if it is coming out. For for consoles or not, but oh no, no I'm pretty sure. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a console release as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I liked it. it. It seemed a bit futuristic for a World War II game, just the <laughs> interface and so on. But uh, but um, yeah, it was it was it was cool, different as well. Right. Should give it a try. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I I think it's it. Is that next month even? I, I'm not even sure when that's coming out. It's really funny, Abilio. It it is a great time to be into real-time strategy games right now. I know. It, what the hell Exactly. I thought that the genre was supposed to be dying, and good Lord, there's just so many really cool RTSs out there. Uh, yeah. And then coming out in March and February. And yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not even like yeah. the holidays, and we've got this glut of wonderful RTSs. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Did hell freeze over? <laughs> cool. Well, Abilio, thank you so much. Uh, you know what you and I should do? Because uh, I'm not super good at it, I promise. We should have uh, a head-to-head game of Supreme Commander 2. You're on. And I, and I mean, like, like if you have time, as soon as we sign off, we should play a real quick game. Can, yeah. Can you, okay, I'm good. So, yeah. so we will we will post in the thread how that turned out. We're just going to do a quick head-to-head game. Uh, so below the post for the podcast, we'll, we'll tell you how that turned out. Uh, everyone listening, um, next week, come on back. So, so. Post in the thread for uh, Where Do Your Keys Live for the Drawing for a Free Game. And come on out next week because we will have uh, a fellow you may know named Mark Asher on talking about Diablo. Uh, and, of course, Mark was one of the co-founders of Quarter to Three with me. He and I started this way back when. And uh, we will catch up with, with Mark. Um, so, Abilio, thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, I will uh, stay there and we'll set up a, a game of Supreme Commander 2. Uh, and I will be seeing you around on the forum. Okay. Thanks.